This is the Final Fix Podcast. This is just real people having real conversations surrounding substance abuse and the way addiction impacts communities. We're three brothers who have experienced addiction through a family member. We each have unique perspectives to the same situation, and as we have healed through discussing, we want to share our experience and speak with others who have been affected by substance abuse. Our goal with this podcast is to spread awareness of the harm of substance abuse. To talk to real people about their experience and how they've healed. And to learn more about the role that substance abuse plays in communities and families. We are not experts, just brothers who have had our own experiences around addiction and want to help others by facilitating conversations. Please be aware that some of these conversations may be difficult and triggering. Any episodes that feature adult content will be labeled as explicit and may not be appropriate for children. Welcome everyone to the Final Fix podcast. We're back again. Uh, today with us we have one of our family friends, Bria. Uh, I'll go ahead and let her introduce herself and tell us a little bit about her story. Yeah, so I'm Bria. Um, I've known these guys for a while through, I call him my cousin Preston. And, um, you know, I'm 25 and uh, I'm here today to kind of talk about what I've kind of gone through with my dad and my stepdad. And um, I'm excited to share my story. Awesome. Awesome. That's funny because he is our cousin Preston then also. Right. We call him cousin <laughs> right. Preston. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, we had we were rolling for a second before we got started. Um, I don't want to get in the the weeds right away, so we try to reserve everything till once we hit record. But I mean, you just brought up your dad and stepdad, so um, there's you know obviously you you have kind of a couple different directions you can go with. Um, if you want to start with your dad, like you know what what yeah. was happening. And... Totally. So, um, my mom and my dad were married, they had me, and then when I was about two years old, they got divorced, and um, a large part of their divorce was due to my dad's alcoholism. Obviously, divorce is very complex, but that was pretty much one of the main problems there. And um, so, pretty much as far as I can remember throughout my childhood, um, I grew up in more of a split household. And um, when I was about five, my mom met my stepdad. And in between those times, um, I kind of saw my dad, but kind of didn't. And also I'll reference my dad as my dad and my stepdad as my stepdad, just to kind of clarify. But uh, I didn't really see my dad all too often um, during those times. I was also really young, so I don't remember a large part of that. But from what I've been told, you know, I kind of saw him, kind of didn't. Um, when my stepdad entered my life, um, I was five, and um, pretty much from the minute, you know, he met my mom and he met me, like, he kind of just accepted me as his daughter, and um, him and my mom fell in love very fast. He was kind of always around. He had asked my mom about a year into their relationship if she wanted to get married, and she said no. And then he asked her again, and she said no. And then she said, if you want to get married, you know, you need to go to rehab. Because he was pretty uh, significantly younger than my mom. They have about a 10-plus year age difference. Um, my mom had me at about 30, so he was younger. Um, I was five then, so he was about 25 when he met my mom. And he had definitely had some red flags of a drinking issue and um you know this has been a really hard thing for my mom and i'll kind of get into why now that um 
kind of some, uh, towards the end of my story, but she didn't want to repeat a um, kind of dysfunctional relationship. And so, you know, he went to rehab and he, I remember visiting him actually when he did go for the first time. And um, I didn't really know what was going on because I was only like five or six then, but I knew that he was gone for a reason. And one thing I really appreciated about my parents is like they've always been very open with me, um, never hid things. I mean, we'll get further into that when we go into like what growing up with alcoholism is like, because um, there is a lot of hiding in there. But um, for the most part, you know, my dad was very absent. And although my stepdad is an alcoholic, he was very present. So it's kind of like that background of like my early childhood. Sure, sure. Are a couple things there? Um, are they still together, your mom and stepdad? So they recently got divorced um, last summer, and okay. um, we'll kind of get into that too because alcoholism yeah. plays a big part in that. Okay. Well, like, I mean, kudos to your mom that that was something that she recognized and was like, I don't want to repeat this. And so that was kind of like an ultimatum because a lot of the time when somebody is like subject to, you know, being with an alcoholic, they'll kind of fall into those patterns and it's, it's hard to stop that or to say no or change. Um, so that's, Absolutely. you know, that's awesome that she was able to do that. So you weren't really talking to your dad at that time, or you don't have a lot of memories of him when when would you say he like started to kind of come back into your life so throughout that period um i lived with my mom and my stepdad and we i lived in mount edmund linwood area of washington and then when i was about seven we moved to everett and that's where i met preston we lived in the same neighborhood and um you know that was kind of like my mom and my stepdad were like my family um my stepdad was kind of like my dad like he was you know, the male figure who I grew up with in my life. And, um, you know, up in my brother was born when I was eight. And my brother being born is very significant because um, my dad was, my stepdad was sober up until kind of my brother was born. And when my brother was born, um, I think, you know, uh, both of you know, have kids, you know, it's, um, it's hard, you know, it's a new, he was also a young parent at that time. And um, I think stress played a large part in that. He was also starting his career in a trade. And I think with work and a new baby and being, you know, my mom also worked um, while we were kids. She was a full-time worker as well. And so when my brother was born, I pretty much helped my family a lot. And I'd see my dad off and on. Um, he, I distanced myself from my dad kind of when my stepdad came into my life because my parents were always very wary of me being around my dad um, just because he was a pretty heavy drinker and um, he didn't show a ton of interest of wanting to have me. Um, and so kind of like they went along with the court orders for a while where I saw him like once or twice a week and then every other weekend. And um, he soon after got into a relationship with a woman who was, I don't want to say she's an addict because I don't know her history, 
but she for sure abused substances with him. And um, she was extremely verbally abusive to me as a kid, and they drank together. And I, whenever I'd go over there, um, a very common theme is when I would get back home to my mom, I would just be acting out. Like I was angry, I was upset, because the stuff that went on with my dad's was just so dysfunctional. And I think that they could tell that like something's off. And um, my dad would always tell me like, don't tell your mom that me and her were fighting or don't tell your mom we were drinking. And, you know, telling an eight, nine, 10 year old that it just put me in such like a very like hard place because despite my dad being pretty shitty my whole life, um, I always had an extreme amount of empathy for him and a extreme amount of love for him. And I can't really even explain it to this day. I just always loved him despite him never really reciprocating that back to me. So eventually when it got bad, bad, and I started also getting more mature and kind of seeing things from my own eyes and being like, you know, I don't want to go over there. And I would, I would call my mom, like, please come pick me up. Like, I don't want to be here. And um, it's that guilt trip of me being scared to call my mom because I'm scared my dad was going to get mad at me. That really, that internal anxiety is a large root of my childhood. And I think a lot of people with alcohol parents can relate to that is like the internal anxiety it causes you. And um, so I stopped going over there and then that was about when I was 10 and he was pretty much a large part out of my life between 10 and 18. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's tough. Um, especially like, when a parent or somebody that's any sort of authority figure is, you know, telling you to keep secrets like, or to not do something like that. that's almost automatically a red flag. Like that's not something anybody should do. Um, but as a kid, like, how do you navigate that? That's just, I mean, props to you. Thank yeah. You. I, I feel like I relate to that a lot. So I don't know that we ever shared, but all of us have different dads and all of our dads played different roles in our lives. Um, Jordan and Dominic had very present dads, if you will, and I was in your situation. I had a non-present dad, and I don't know that uh, substances played a factor in that as much as uh, he didn't come into my I didn't know he was my dad until I was like nine, and so I think there was a lot of guilt for that, and so it was just easier to stay away. So I, again, I did what you did. I, I had the every other weekend thing for a little while, and it was just like, there's just no point to come here. Uh, so I, I, I know how you, I sort of know how you felt in that situation because it was, it was hard. You like, you want to love them, and you almost want to love them more because they're not reciprocating that, or you don't feel like they are, um, and so you just push that. But at some point, you know, like you said, you just you have to make that decision for what's best for you. Absolutely. And that's kind of what I did. Like once I could definitely see that he was choosing alcohol in an abusive relationship over me. And a large part of that was the woman he was with absolutely hated me. And so, which is beyond, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it's just, and so that was a, 
super hard thing for me to deal with is like my dad's not only choosing alcohol, but he's also choosing this woman over me. And so that's when I was kind of like, you know, I, I'm not interested in going back over there. And I kind of just accepted it. And um, we would meet um, to go out to dinner during my adolescence. And um, pretty much like once a month, he would, because he lived in Edmonds, he'd drive up to Everett or Mill Creek and we'd go out to dinner. And then pretty soon he would start either canceling on me or think something would come up. And there was a few times once I was in high school where I completely cut him out because we'd come up, we'd go out to dinner and he was just very visibly drunk. And it made me uncomfortable because I knew he drove there. And it was mostly like made me emotional because despite everything, I still cared a lot about him and seeing him in such a sick state, um, it was just too hard on me emotionally. Yeah. Is, I mean, so 18, I mean, you said you're 25. Is he like, that's seven years ago. Is he still drinking or how worse he at now? Yeah, so my dad got sober in, I believe, May of 2017. Okay. Um, he was in a very, very um, bad car accident. And he came like an inch from a tree. And um, if he would have hit the tree, he totally would have died. And um, pretty much after that, um, he also had nothing at that time. He basically had a car to his name. Um, he wasn't in a relationship anymore. I think he was like living at like my grandparents at my aunt's house. Like it was pretty much getting to like rock bottom at that point. Um, no job, anything. And, um, when he got in that car accident, he crashed through someone's backyard, um, nearly missed their house in a tree and pretty much his brother and my, um, cousin were like, your only option is rehab or the streets pretty much because um, we're pretty much done with you and he chose to go to rehab and um, he went to like a state like correctional rehab um, so it was in Spokane and it was kind of where a lot of people finish their prison sentences at and there's a lot of people just in there for rehab as well and um he told me on the second day he was there, um, he pretty much, because of course the first day, I think he was going through all the motions of like, F this, like, you know, all the things, because you're still pretty messed up. And he essentially was like, you know, um, he found God. A lot of people in recovery um, lean towards God and religion. It's a huge part of their recovery and just come back and just having faith in life again and faith in something um and he completely believes that god saved him that night in the car crash and um from that point forward he has done it all right he did the 12 steps he finished in um in program rehab and then when he got out of rehab he lived in a sober living house um I'm forgetting the name of it, but uh, he pretty much started from the ground up and like he lived in a sober living house for like four years, um, got a job, left to work, and then, you know, saved enough money to get a car. And throughout all that time, he 
basically went to a meeting every single day. He got very heavily involved in AA, began sponsoring people. And um, that's kind of when our relationship started to build again. But um, it took it took a lot of time. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very proud to say that, like, you know, I'm very confident in my dad's sobriety today. And he's a completely different person. And um, very thankful for that. That's, I mean, a car accident sucks, but that's awesome that, you know, that almost, I mean, that led him to getting that help. And, um, I mean, it was, so I think God has mentioned in like five of the 12 steps. So like, that's a big point, like part of AA and a lot of people's recovery, but was he at all religious before that or? Not really. I think he kind of like always may have believed in a God source, but, um, he was never, like a church every Sunday person. He, I doubt he owned a Bible or anything. And um, so I think he really like found God throughout his sobriety. Okay. And, um, and like that's kind of where he's at today. I think God has a, I think God is a huge source of, he has a very strong belief. And I think it's also just a huge reflection and accountability source for a lot of people in recovery. Yeah. Did you have any hesitancy or anything like that when it came to him coming back into your life? Or was there any boundaries that you made sure to set when it comes like emotionally and stuff so you don't get hurt again? It was definitely, it was hard. Um, you know, I wrote my dad a few times when he was in um, inpatient and um, he wrote me back and he sent me this letter and um, in the letter, it was like, 10 pages long and um i could just tell in the way he was writing me and i just like had hope for him because i think i just saw that like he had hit such a like rock bottom um for himself that you know i just had faith that he was going to do it we definitely i was hesitant you know we kind of just started going out to dinner again um but every time we'd see each other he was just so open um about his inpatient experience so open about his entire um story essentially because a lot of aa is going through why you even began drinking to begin with and i learned a lot about his upbringing that i didn't know about um our family history that i didn't know about um, you know, his high school experiences and college experiences. And, you know, a large part of his alcoholism was rooted in, you know, family trauma. Um, you know, when he went to the UW, just being insecure and that social anxiety caused him to drink and, um, then leaving that, you know, alcohol kind of just follows you and it's more of a numbing, you know, uh, I say practice almost like a numbing practice in a way because and then once I kind of understood the why it made a lot more sense to me and as we kind of kept going I was definitely cautious but then once he started opening up it allowed me to open up and we had very raw conversations about you know what he did to me um you know his relationship that he was in and how that hurt me and you know, all the things that regarded that. And so that's ultimately, and then also seeing over the years just how steadfast he was in 
continuing his recovery. And um, that's where we'll kind of get into the differences between my dad and my stepdad, because my stepdad didn't recently get sober until last year. And you mentioned that they separated last year or got divorced last year too, right? So, I mean, does that correlate? Yes. So kind of throughout, um, it's kind of complicated. So my stepdad was a very functional alcoholic. And I would say he was more of a binge drinker than a kind of like a coast all dayer. And he, so he would wake up, go to work. Um, and then the second he got off work, he would just start essentially binge drinking. And um, he'd go through periods where he would stop drinking cold turkey. And then two or three weeks later, he's like off the bandwagon again. And um, he... It was really hard for me to accept. I always knew my stepdad was an alcoholic, but it was really hard for me to accept that he was like as bad as my dad, just because he was always present and provided. And, you know, he was kind of like my, you know, father figure. So it was very hard for me to accept that like, okay, cool. Not only is my dad now, you know, not in my life, especially like in my high school years, but now my stepdad is like off the wagon. And, you know, with my stepdad, it was really hard because with my dad, I could kind of just forget about it in a way because I wasn't really around him. Like I always knew he was, you know, off doing whatever, but I didn't have to see him every day and really be around uh, who he was on a daily basis. But I was around my stepdad every day. And um, as I've gotten older, and like really reflected on everything. And especially when I moved down here to Arizona, I lived with my parents for eight months. And um, I'd say those eight months in um, 2021 uh, was probably the worst I had ever seen my stepdad. And um, essentially, you know, he'd go, he'd be, you know, he'd drink after work, he'd come home, you know, my mom would, you know, see him at the door and smell his breath and it'd be a fight or something, or she would just kind of leave it. Like, I can't deal with this right now. Like, just go to bed and leave me alone type thing. And throughout my high school years, you know, I pretty much tried to protect my brother as much as I could from my dad's alcoholism because I never knew um, what type of person he'd be coming home as. Um, He was never physical with us typically never verbally abusive either he was more of almost like a closet drunk in a way where he'd just show up you know drunk out of his mind and he'd go to bed and so I just kind of look at him he'd look at me and then he'd go upstairs and go to bed and that was a lot of our encounters um throughout my adolescence and in high school and um kind of the thing about that is it really produces anxiety because my mom she worked full-time and so I was always home after school. I took care of my brother and uh, my stepdad. He worked early, got off early. And so I was always kind of the one who was home to kind of see him, you know, because when my mom was there, she would kind of handle it. But when she wasn't there, I had to handle it. And um, just that anxiety, because I, you know, I love him and trust him. But when someone's under the influence like that, you just really never know. Like, if I were to be upset at him, I really don't know how he would have reacted towards me. So I was always very careful in how I interacted with my stepdad. I was trying to 
not provoke and keep the peace as much as I could. I think that's a very common um, theme as my kind of person in the family is trying to keep the peace. Trying to, you know, I'd be there for my mom and her struggles and then I'd protect my brother and always take care of my brother and kind of have him under my wing. And um, that put a lot of stress and uh, anxiety on me. What was the communication like between you and your mom? Uh, was it like a, you said they were very open with you earlier, but was it kind of like a hush-hush thing or kind of like, let me handle it, like, don't worry about it? So me and my mom, me and my mom, and, you know, I feel bad for, I always say I feel bad for my little brother because from a young age, he definitely had a lot more of an awareness than I did. Um just growing up in the household we grew up that with. Um, and I'd say around five or six, my brother knew that my dad was not supposed to drink. Um, it was a very well-known thing in our family. And, you know, I appreciated my mom so much because she was open with me. But sometimes she was almost open with me to a fault where sometimes I would have appreciated almost not knowing certain things or having, you know, it's like, yeah, your dad's just sleeping upstairs, not he's passed out drunk upstairs and I'm upset. You know what I mean? And so I think, you know, me and my mom, we've been together through everything. And since I was little, um, I've almost been an emotional support for my mom. And I kind of matured very quickly as a kid and as, you know, throughout my life because my mom kind of, always shared with me things and from a young age I could understand things and I'd be there for her and so that was really hard on me because you know as I got older um, especially when I met my boyfriend in high school who's now my husband I just wanted to get out of the house and so you know my mom kind of wanted me to be there for her and to help her through things whereas I just wanted to like leave and not be a part of it at all like okay you're home I can leave now and um so that was kind of hard um and even when so my parents moved to Arizona two years before I did and um my mom would like call me on the phone and tell me all the things like what was going on and that was really hard for me because I'm like in Washington like trying to be polite listening to my mom on the phone talk about everything that's going on where I have my own life and stuff happening in my own life and so that was definitely a tricky relationship and um, a lot of boundary setting had to happen around that because I was just getting ultra consumed with my parents issues when you know I'm now like a young adult like I need to be worrying about myself that was a hard hard boundary to set like I love you but you know, you should probably seek out a therapist or something like that. Yeah. Not conversations you should be having with your, your child. <laughs> like, um, right. I, yeah, I can empathize like the, the role that you're placed and having to mature that young is, is really difficult. Did. Yeah. So when you were, when you said you got, you and your boyfriend started dating and you were old enough and you were wanting to leave the house, was there, that had to be hard, not just to help your mom, but it sounds like through the majority of your childhood and your brother's childhood, he leaned on you a lot and you were his protector, as you said. 
was that a hard you know did you feel like you were leaving your brother behind no i it was really hard and um you know me and my brother we were always very close as kids um i remember like he'd run in my room when he was little and when he was scared like can i sleep with you and all the things and so you know i've always and like because i was eight when he was born i um kind of helped raise him in a way because I was very much involved in helping my family when he was born and you know pretty much when I was at an appropriate age I started watching him during summers and um, after school and all the things so when I started you know going to my boyfriend's house and you know leaving pretty much once my mom got home that was it was really hard and like I'd have these contemplations in the car like you know, my dad came home, he seems okay, but what if he starts drinking when I leave? And very often that would happen. Um, you know, I, there were just times where, I mean, I call it almost selfishness, where like, I've dealt with this for so long, I've been here all day, like, I just need to go. And um, there'd be times where my brother would be like, you know, don't go, or, you know, can I come with you? And, you know, it's like, I don't want to bring my kid brother to my boyfriend's house. And, um, though that was really hard. And, um, I think I kind of like, I was talking to my husband the other day about how I had some guilt with, uh, that and also how hard I was on my brother. Um, I don't really think I was honestly that hard on him, but I definitely was hard on him in the sense where like, I like him not turning out is not an option for me. And so I always took the initiative to always make sure he was on the straight and narrow and making good decisions and that type of stuff. So I think having that responsibility and also figuring out how to kind of leave him, that was hard. But I also knew, you know, he had a phone then too, so that helped a lot. So I would always tell him like, look, if you need anything, call me, you know. And my stepdad wasn't to the point to where I ever worried about him driving with my brother or anything like that. It was more of me worrying that my brother was going to experience the anxiety I did when I was home. And I think when I would leave, he definitely did feel that anxiety. Thankfully, he had video games and my dad kind of just left him alone. So he could just put his headset on, game out with his friends, and if he needed anything, he could call me. So we definitely had some things in place there, but it was hard. Did, um, did you go through any, like, not necessarily like rebellion, but like, you know, when you have to mature that young, a lot of the time you get to a point where you're like, all right, now it's my turn to like, to have fun, to be a kid, to experience the things that you might've felt like you missed out on. But the dynamic is different when you grew up with, you know, alcoholic, substance abuse, anything like that. So I guess just how did that happen in your life or did it? So throughout high school, um, I was, as much as I may have wanted to, um, my mom, she was strict as hell and I was scared of her. And so I am like my mom, she always like put the fear of God in me if I ever like went to a party or smoked some weed and and, you know, throughout all this, um, I think I thrived in school and accomplishment to get almost um, 
healthy attention and to be recognized. And um, so in high school, I really stayed on the straight and narrow because I just wanted to make my dad proud in a sense and my mom. Um, that was really important to me. And also, like, I didn't want to ever put my mom through more stress than what she was already going through. And also kind of having my brother close to me, I never wanted him to see me go through that. And I also just didn't want to deal with the repercussions of what that would do. Because as much as like right now, like my little brother, like he's a lot different than me. We're like, my parents will yell at him and he's like, yeah, whatever. Whereas I'd be like crying, like, don't be mad at me. I'm sorry. And he's like, okay, whatever. They'll get over it. And I'm like, oh, I wish I could have been like that in high school because it would have made my life easier. But um, no, not really. I'd say when I moved out, that's kind of when I kind of experienced freedom for the first time. And um, I'd say I never got into trouble or did anything reckless. That's kind of when I started kind of experimenting with alcohol and stuff like that. Was there anyone um, that you were, it sounds like you were a big help to your brother and your mom. Was there anyone that helped you that you really leaned on? Honestly, um, my best friend, um, she, we, we met when I was in seventh grade and we're still friends to this day. And um, she's really the only one who saw the reality of my household. Everyone else, I kept at very arm's distance when it came to what was actually going on in my house. And, um, you know, I appreciate her because she, you know, she knows everything about my real dad, um, about my childhood and just about, you know, the emotions that have gone on with my stepdad and my mom. And, you know, she's kind of part of the family, honestly. So she was a huge help for me. Um, other than her though, I would say my husband, he was there for me a lot. Um, as much as he could be, he did not come from any type of family like this. So it's hard for someone who's never really experienced this type of dysfunction to truly understand, but he'd always listen and was very empathizing. And, um, he was very much there for me throughout high school. I'd say high school was honestly my hardest period throughout all this. And I think the root of having two alcoholic fathers for me was just a deep rooted chronic anxiety. And I just got extremely depressed. It was almost like a, a burnout or something where I just felt completely hopeless about my life. And, you know, when you're dealing with this type of anxiety and stress on a daily basis, it just, it, it affects you in different ways. And for me, I just got extremely depressed. And so I'm very thankful for my husband throughout that period because he really helped me, you know, get school and, um, you know, helped me stay motivated even when I didn't want to stay motivated. And, you know, I went through a lot of different health stuff during that time and um, he was supportive through all that. So I really appreciate both of those people. And, you know, my mom was there for me, of course, but I think she was just more living it as well. And when you're living the same thing and it was even worse for her except her husband and you know she just had immense guilt for a putting me through that again because here she is thinking that like you know 
I'm not going to make the same mistake. And then, you know, she married another alcoholic. And I think that that was really hard on her. And so there was that too. So we didn't, we didn't talk about it too much, but she was always there to be like, you know, if I needed to talk to her or anything, we did, we could. The, the blessing of your husband, like, even though, like you said, he didn't come from a world that he experienced those things, but like, sometimes all we need is that person that can listen, you know, not give unsolicited advice, not try to tell us what we need to do, but like, just to be there. Um, and that's huge. Uh, going back, what I was going to say previously, um, you talked about how your dad was at this low point, only had the car to his name to, you know, wasn't in a great place. Um, and then your stepdad was more of like the go, go to work, get things done and then drink later on. Did he like, not to get into your parents' finances, but like, was he still, were they still keeping things going? Okay. Or was like the alcohol controlling every portion? So I'd say that obviously alcohol and cigarettes were a small portion of what he spent every day. But for the most part, you know, he was in a trade, he made good money and he never had like gambling issues or he'd never go places and spend a bunch of money. He'd, uh, or even go to bars really. It was more like, I'm going to stop it. He would buy these little, those little small alcohol bottles, the little shot bottles. And um, he'd buy like 10 of those at the store and um, drink them before he got home. And then he, that's kind of how he did it. Um, and that's also another thing growing up with an alcoholic, um, you'd find those things everywhere because he was a closet drunk a lot of the time because he wasn't supposed to be drinking, even though everybody knew he was addicts just think that like, oh, they don't, they're not going to know. And it's like, all right, you're not clearly drunk, but that's fine. Um, and so he'd forget where he'd hide them and you'd find them on the couch or under the bathroom sink or you know, ran or in the garage garbage and stuff like that. And um, so he was very much, he very, but then he'd wake up the next day and go to work like nothing happened. And yeah. he could, and then, you know, um, whenever he was on call, you know, he was able to stay sober through the work day. And uh, I think that that is one of the main reasons why he was able to stay functioning for so long and why it never really affected their finances. And I think that's a large reason why my mom stayed was because of the financial benefit that he provided for us. Um, you know, medical benefits, you know, trade jobs give you a really nice life. And I think my mom stayed so long because she wanted what was best for me and my brother. And when my mom and my dad got divorced when I was young, I think she had a lot of trauma during that period um just we were living in poverty you know she was only a hairstylist she had only she kind of had to enter back into hair when she had me she was kind of at home for a while and so i think her being broke during those periods and she also didn't have any access to you know food stamps or she never went on welfare she never did any of those things because she didn't know how to access the system so essentially, you know, she just worked and worked and worked to try to provide as best she could and the little child support that she would get. So I think going through that 
she never wanted to do that again. So I think that was a large reason why she essentially stayed with my stepdad and um, and also why he got away with a lot of things was the financial aspect. I think that right what you just said is so key to this day with people. The resources are there, but the ability to access them just just knowing how to access them is such an issue. They're not what you know, and I don't know if it's because people, you know, there's some there's some shame or there's, you know, whatever people don't want everyone else to know about it. So the resources are like, you got to go look for them. They're not like blasted on billboards and stuff like that. You know, you'll see 15 alcohol billboards before you see like, are you a struggling parent billboard, you know? And so, you know, I, I will say there was times, you know, I, I went on food stamps for a little bit, um, but it's tough. It was hard to figure out, you know? And so I, I feel your mom in that it's, it's not an easy process. Um, but she made it through. So that's awesome. Yeah. And like, this is also like before the internet and smartphones and all that. So like, I think you'd have to probably go to like a building or something. And then, (laughs) you know, a lot of the people she knew were married and, you know, their husbands had money and they didn't, they didn't know how to help her. And it was also, you know, a lot, you said a lot of like shame, like how, like how do I even reach out to someone and share with them what I'm going through and, you know, all those things. And I think it was also, you know, internal shame for herself. Like, no, I'm just going to work my ass off and figure it out because if I do this, I'll be labeled as this or I'll even have, you know, internal guilt or shame about it. And so, you know, I think that that put a lot of fear in her. And um, I, I think a lot of people can relate to that. I think it, like, the old adage, the devil, you know, is better than the devil. You don't like, that's very true in a lot of these situations where it's like, okay, well, she had been married to an alcoholic, got divorced, got married to another alcoholic. It's like, okay, so if we get divorced, like what's, what's next? Like, and that, that's definitely kind of what she's been going through, you know, last year when she, you know, decided that she was done. Um, and I'll kind of lead into that. So, June of 2021, um, my, me and my husband, then fiance, we got married in October of 2021. Um, we're living with them in Arizona. And um, in that June, my dad, my stepdad, went on a full-fledged vendor. Like, he was worse than I had ever seen him before. And um, before I had moved down, I had heard about my brother. He was picked my brother up from practice and my brother just unleashed on him in the car. And um, with my stepdad, uh, he is not an emotional guy. We don't talk feelings. We've never really even talked about his drinking besides like, can you not? And then him just kind of staring at us and walking away. Um, and so my brother just basically just like, I think just couldn't hold it in anymore and just screamed at him and let out just everything he was feeling. Cause like when they moved, he went through a lot and he didn't have me anymore. And, um, I think that was a huge part of my guilt was worrying about my brother when I still lived in Washington and when he was down in Arizona, 
granted he was 13, 14, um, but he had never had to do it by himself before. And it was also worse than ever when they moved down here. Um, I think just the stress of moving and who knows what, why he went off the rails. But anyways, he started getting really aggressive with me because I was now, I'm now an adult. Like I'm 23 at this point. Like you, like I'm not going to sit here and stand in this house and let you kind of act this way, essentially. Like you need to get out. And um, my mom was gone visiting a friend and he was just like, there was nothing in his eyes. Like it was, it was like I'd never seen him before. And it wasn't like, okay, I came home drunk, but I'm going to go to bed. It was, you're not going to tell me what to fucking do, all this stuff. And, like, I started getting really scared because he had never reacted to me that way. And um, essentially, like, a lot of stuff went down. Um, he eventually left the house. But uh, he started, you know, trying to get physical with my brother. And, um, you know, my husband had to kind of intervene. And he has never gotten verbal or physical with my husband I think he he knows that that even in his state he knew that that was not going to be good for him and um so he ended up leaving and I just remember this conversation and this is like so hard because this is just how bad I knew it was is like it was just that you were talking to a different person like like he was not there like it's like it's just like it was just crazy to me and like the things he was saying, he was laughing at me and I was crying and, you know, begging him like, you need to go to rehab. Like you need to figure this out. Like this isn't just, this is just so beyond. And, you know, you can't reason with a drunk and I don't even know why I wasted my time, but I think I was just so desperate, like seeing him in that state. And um, he stayed at a couple hotels and tried to come back. And eventually I was just like, look, like you can come back and get close, letting me leave. And then it was always like, I own this house and I pay the bills. You can't kick me out. And, you know, it got to the point where it was like, okay, well, you won't go to bed. You also won't leave us alone and you're belligerently drunk. So you need to leave or else I'm calling the cops because I don't feel safe with you right now. Like you are just crossing so many boundaries and you're just acting so out of control that like you need to leave or I have to result to this because this is just not healthy for you to be here in the state. And this was like, we're now on day four of a bender, and this is the worst bender I've ever seen. But after that and going through that, he came home the next day and then, I guess, drove himself to the hospital. Um, and before he went to the hospital, he, I think, downed like probably like 10, 20 shots and walked into the hospital. And... Um, it was almost kind of like a surrender or something. And then um, he was in inpatient for a week. He should have stayed longer in my opinion, but you know, he kind of has the type of ego that, um, you know, he's gonna do what he's gonna do. And when he got out, it was, um, after that, I think that's when my mom was just done. She just, uh, I, she, I just remember her being so angry and upset that things had gotten to this and that he had gotten himself to this point and all this drama had happened and 
all this stuff was happening in front of my husband and that was humiliating for my mom and you know it was it was um you know rough and you know i don't really have any shame about this story i've never told not really tell it because you know but i also am pretty open about it because you know this is my story too and i went through it and he put me through it and you know he is sober um from what he tells me he definitely has not gone the route like my other dad did um i don't think he goes to aa um when he even got out of the hospital he could barely basically said i'm sorry and that was it um and we never really talked about it and as far as our relationship goes we're gonna have to have that conversation um for us to go to be close at all um and you know if he was doing the steps you know conversations with the people you've hurt and the people who you have been there for the majority of your addiction and you know who dealt with you and all that like especially your family and your kid very huge part of that and those conversations haven't happened and um i don't you know it's kind of like a cold turkey thing like once he got out he wasn't going to drink he did he did get really healthy he lost a lot of weight um kind of got into fitness and um that's good but i based off kind of how he's led his sobriety and what i know about alcoholism it doesn't necessarily give me the confidence that he will continue to stay sober and not to say he won't but it's just one of those things where if you're going to do it the right way you're going to do it the right way and i just think that the way he's doing it is just kind of um risky and you know slip-ups can happen easily and you know him and my mom are divorced now and so as far as i know he has been sober since june of 2021 so i'd say two years now um but you know i don't see him all too often about like once a month we'll go over for dinner and stuff my brother sees him sometimes uh, but he, you know, he, he works a lot and, you know, he lives by himself now. And so I, I don't know what that looks like, yeah. but I pray definitely that he stays sober and that's all I want for him. But, you know, it's not necessarily as confident as I am about my dad. How has your brother taken to, I mean, that's, that's all of it is a lot growing up with it. And then everything since like. Um, my brother, he's definitely, um, my brother kind of takes things at face value. And I think that he deep down is terrified. Like if my dad does drink again, I probably would never talk to him again. So he kind of believes like, no, dad would never drink again. Like, you know, like he, he's fine. Like everything's fine. And I think, you know, he's 16 going on 17 right now. And so, you know, he's very much into on a couple baseball teams very much involved in sports and friends and girlfriends and all the things and so you know um i think he was very angry about the divorce at first but now that everything's kind of said and done he knows it was the right thing especially for both of my parents um just because their relationship was super dysfunctional and you know we didn't want to hear them fight anymore and just being in a household where two people are fighting and 
just dealing with that dysfunction. It's just exhausting. And so I think, um, you know, my brother, he's kind of, he definitely has not processed a lot of this, um, kind of just taking things day by day and it's just like, everything's fine. And so, um, you know, and like I, I definitely like try to talk to him about it. And I think, I think he very much so also wants to turn off emotion and not talk about these things. You know, it's kind of hard for me because like I worry about him sometimes because I just know that, you know, emotion, emotional unavailability can lead to, you know, sometimes, you know, numbing yourself or things like that. And so, you know, I've always kept communication lines open with my brother. Like, do you ever want to talk about this? And you like, you know, I'm here for you. Like, you know, very much knows that I'm okay talking about this stuff. And, you know, I've shared with him, you know, some of the things that I went through, you know, being the older sibling and a lot of the things that he, you know, didn't really realize, but knew. And um, now that he's kind of at an age where he can kind of like, oh, like, so when you were my age, this is what you were going through. And you had, you know, kind of, you had me along with you. And so I think that's been kind of full circle for him. Um, but I think the whole thing is kind of, it was a lot for him, for sure. Yeah. The way that you've processed it um, throughout, like your whole story, is like kind of mind blowing to me that, if you, you didn't have anybody external to, to lean on, but you seem to have processed it very well, uh, which I think part of that as dysfunctional as the communication with your mom is, I think having just kind of a better understanding of it probably did help. Um, that's unfortunate. Your brother wants to kind of like turn it off. Cause if you don't process it, like it's going to not come, it's going to come out in unhealthy ways. Um, but that's, it's good that he's doing well. Yeah. And, you know, I also, you know, I have been in and out of therapy, um, you know, especially from about 2017 to 2020, I was in therapy for a while, a lot of different therapists, because I don't know if you guys have been through therapy, but they don't always work out. And so, you know, got to start from the bottom again and do the whole thing, but therapies for sure helped me a lot, um, especially during 2020, just, you know, the pandemic and all the things, it was pretty rough and I got to dive pretty deep into, you know, just, you know, healing and stuff. And, you know, I got my degree in psychology and I think in many ways through the classes I took and um, the things that I learned and just knowing, you know, mental illness and knowing about all the different things and learning about alcoholism and drug use and just the way your brain is, um, that helped me understand myself and my dad and I mean, everyone involved really kind of helped me understand. Um, but I will say, you know, I still deal with anxiety and PTSD and depression and, um, you know, I've kind of come to terms that, like, I will be dealing with that for the rest of my life. Um, I think it's just all a matter of how you, how you, your daily habits and how you combat those things. And um, I personally am not medicated, but I know that's a really good option for some people. I've just never been comfortable with 
taking an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication. There's just something about I'd rather honestly feel it and experience it than numb it. Because to yeah. me, it's like it's just always going to be there. And um, that's kind of where, you know, my daily habits and my routines and journaling and uh, exercise and all the things has really, really helped me. And just having good people in my life to where, in, honestly, my husband, like, you know, it's not, it's not a normal day unless, you know, I mean, I can come to him about anything, share anything I'm going through or, you know, like, I just had this really uncomfortable flashback and then he'll be like, okay, well, tell me about it. And honestly, like talking about it has helped so much. And I think that that's one of the main things that I would recommend to anyone who is kind of dealing with stuff like this is having someone, whether it's a therapist, a friend, a spouse, you know, someone you can talk to about this stuff because every time you talk about it, it gets a lot easier and it's not like it disappears, but for some weird reason, it, it does help you. And it helps you kind of get through it. And, um, you know, it's kind of also just like a lot of it just comes into self-healing. And, you know, for some people, it's meditation, exercise, you know, all different things. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast is like to give people a platform to be able to talk about it. And for like those that are going through it right now, like you're 17 16 year old self, like to be able to have something like shit, you got nobody to talk to and then you can go on and look up resources. And hopefully there comes a day where this is like one of the first things that pops up and people can hear all these different stories of people of different perspectives that hopefully resonates with them. Like I'm my professional uh, education is toward teaching. And like one of the things that is just apparent is representation matters and like seeing people that, understand where you're at and like being able to relate to them like that is huge um so i mean that's i appreciate you sharing your story in in both of those capacities like not only did you have you know one father figure that you know dealt with that you had two like a it just is a unique perspective well i was just going to say you know in tying back to how i know you guys um you know when my brother was born i at home i had to help out a lot and um you know my parents were kind of like you know we have a new baby in the house like you kind of have to start pulling your weight so from a young age i was you know i knew how to do my own laundry um i always kind of picked up after myself i helped change diapers make bottles watch my brother pick up all this stuff and so you know when i met preston he was my friend you know whenever i could go hang out at his house I could just be a kid again. And um, we would just chaos. hang out. <laughs> well, and like the nice part, you know, in Preston's childhood, you know, he always had the thickest room in the house. Like, you know, the biggest room and like he had all the gaming stuff and he could just do his own thing. And so it was really nice for me to go over there and I would just be a kid and do my own thing and I didn't have to really do anything. And so I think that's a lot of the reason why we spent so much time together was... When I was over there, I could just relax. Oh, one thing, one last thing I was going to ask before we wrap it up. I was going to say, uh, especially with your background and your education that you got, is there any books or resources that you personally found like really helpful? Yes. So one of my favorite books is called The Body Keeps the Score. And um, I have the author somewhere around here. Oh, by Bethel Vanderkolk. And um, it's a blue cover. And... Uh, 
it is an amazing book about how it talks about um, it goes through PTSD, um, you know, veterans talked about how one in four people. Yep, he has it right there. That's awesome. <laughs> it's um, it's such a good book, and it's taught me so much about how what you experience is literally like stored in your body. It's not just your brain. And um, you know, I I would recommend re- uh, such a great read on understanding psychology and also you know, ways to heal and help yourself when you're dealing with issues and understanding your trauma and stuff. So I'd recommend that to anyone. Yeah, it's a thick book. It's very academic. Yes. Uh, but I think yes. that he breaks, it's broken down in a way that's like, there's um, portions where you can understand it better. And it's kind of like simplified, I guess, is the best way to phrase it um i think each chapter and there's like uh there's a little bit in there for anybody that's dealt with Mm -hmm. any sort of you know little t trauma in their life or big major life events like this yeah and um you know it's a really good book and that's kind of helped me because i'm i'm obviously i got my degree in that stuff so i'm really interested in it but um i do love that on a broad spectrum you know people who do deal with addiction themselves or grew up with parents who were addicts and then became addicts themselves or growing up with addicts, you know, I'm fortunate that I never had to deal with, you know, real physical abuse or sexual abuse, stuff like that. But, um, you know, that stuff is very much engulfed in a lot of this. And so reading that book, you know, it gives you a lot of insight into trauma as a whole and, um, it can, it reaches a lot of, a lot of people. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, do you have any uh, final uh, statements or thoughts that you want to leave anyone listening with? Um, for anyone, you know, growing up with addict parents, I would just say that it is not your fault. Um, I think as a kid growing up, I internalized a lot of, you know, my uh, my dad, my stepdad, not so much, but um, my real dad. I internalized a lot on like, you know, is this my fault? Um, did I cause this? Am I not good enough? And I think it's so important for people to understand that it really doesn't have anything to do with you. And I think addiction as a whole is best described as a sickness. And um, it's so complex and it's not that they don't love you. It's just that it just takes full control and until you really understand, which obviously none of us have experienced firsthand what that feels like, but it's just, um, you know, that would be my, my best advice is just don't, don't think it's your fault and just know that you're loved and, you know, it's, you've kind of got to grow through what you go through. And, you know, I think accepting what was done to you and accepting um, is a huge, acceptance is a huge part because you're going to blame and you know there's a lot of different routes you can take when you've experienced trauma and um, I think all of us can attest that talking about this stuff and healing and being open and you know growing through what you go through is really the best way to kind of combat it. If you or anyone you know are struggling with addiction please reach out to the National Substance Abuse Hotline at 1-800-662-4357 for additional help. And remember, you're not alone.